Hey girl, Heather Nelson here. Welcome to Life Conversations with a Twist. I'm so excited to build a community where I inspire and empower women who are going through hard times. I can't wait to share with you women who have unique stories and have overcome hard times in their life. So grab your favorite cocktail, lean in, and let's cheers to empowerment, ladies. Today, I meet with Sarah Warner, married to Mike and mama of two. She has lots to say about being a bereaved Ankh mom, scout mom, and food lover. She is also a wedding planner who just recently had weight loss surgery. Today, we learn about her life's twist of her son's childhood cancer journey, something as a mom that we all fear. I want to thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story. And I want to share with our listeners where we met. Do you remember where we met? It's been a while. Oh gosh. Well, I'm gonna imagine it was probably a wedding show back when I was working at the rental co- at the rental company that I used to work at. Um, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah, I can't remember I specifics, it. but you know, somewhere yeah. in that vein of life in our in our event world. Tell me about your journey with Billy. And I've actually like I know because. I know of you and, but I have actually never really heard, heard for sure. Okay. Well then give me leading questions. If I skip anything that you find important because it started in 2016. Um, my son, Billy, uh, I'm going to start with January. Um, we went to the doctors and he kind of had this cold that just like kept lingering um, they did blood tests. They, they did some things and they took his measurements and he's like, you know, I just think it's a cold, just keep him home. I mean, I had to get a doctor's note because he was out of school for so long. Um, and then we went back to the doctors a few months later and, um, and he had had, he was active in boy scouts. And so he had had a couple tick bites from, um, hikes. And then even just here in Runner Park, going to the middle school, the, the fields going to the middle school are filled with ticks. Um, so I remember he got a couple of tick bites, like or ticks that were on his clothing, um, found at school. So we went to the doctor for another physical or something like that. And it had been a few months later and, we noticed that his weight had dropped and we, we kind of keep track of it. Also, like my sister-in-law, her husband um, used to do a growth chart of all the kids. Um, And I was like, Oh, I know in December how much he weighed. And now he, he lost a lot of weight and they're like, Oh, well, he grew a lot. He he had a growth spurt. So that's why. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, go forward to May and, um, we got done with a hike and we had been working out as a family actually, um, and going to see a personal trainer (laughs) at this point. And he would complain. I mean, all the time he was kind of complaining about how much his body ached. And I chalked it up to him being kind of like just being a lazy tween, you know, like I, I do PE at school, mom, I don't want to do this, you know, or he would ride his bike to school and he, or great or having growing pains because he had grown so much thinking, okay, he's having leg pain because he's getting so tall. His dad is six foot four. I'm five foot short. Like 
<laughs> I don't know these pains. I, I just know what my husband's told me, what my sister's told me, because they're taller people than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, you know, and brushing it off. Yeah. And we got home from a hike and I was doing a tick check because we had had these other things with ticks happen recently. And so I made him, you know, kind of strip down and I was taken aback because he was so skinny and my son oh, lived in how he was 12 at, at the time oh, okay. mm-hmm. or 11. He was 11 at the time. Sorry. So it's not something um, you would notice. Cause you, at that age, you don't really see your children. You don't, I Whoa. mean, they, it was hilarious to me because they, they, we, well, we'll get there. They ask you all these questions when you're taking your kids to the, to the emergency room or as you're going and doing intake. And they're like, well, what about his bowel movements? And what about, does he have night sweats? I'm like, he is 11 years old. It would be really inappropriate for me to know what his bowel movements are like. Yeah. He is 11 years old. Yeah. He's a stinky boy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's sweating at night. Like he doesn't mention anything to me, you know? Um, and again, he lived in, cause he was a, a normal 11 year old boy. He like lived in hoodies, um, which you, you can, it, you don't really see how much weight he had lost. So like I said, we, we went on a hike and I was like, you know what? Too many ticks lately. You've had too much exposure lately. Let's, I want to do a full body tick check. Just make sure nothing's hiding anywhere. And I remember seeing his sternum and his ribs and just being like, whoa, what the fuck? Had him get on the scale. I was like, holy crap. Okay. And then, and then replaying all of the stuff of him saying that he's hurting and I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's go to the doc. We're going to call the doctor. So we call our family or his family practitioner again. Now this is probably the third time that we've seen this doctor this in this one year, which, you know, we don't typically see a doctor that much. Mm -hmm. They do some more blood tests. They weigh him. They're like, you know, we're going to do a weight check um, in a couple of weeks. Um, really pay attention to what he's eating. The doctor says, tells me, you know, you know, it's not, it's not unheard of for boys to have eating disorders. So I really want you to concentrate on what he's eating. I'm like, okay. So we work those two weeks on like getting him protein in and watching what he's eating. And he's eating. He's like, I don't have much of an appetite, but I'm eating mom and I don't feel good. And we're watching him and we go back and he's lost five pounds. Wow. And I'm like, he is eating. And the doctor's like, well, we ran some more tests. And I, I, and I'm having to hound the doctor's office. Like, what are the test results? Nobody's called me back. It's been several days. What are the test results? And I remember calling the office and the office saying, or the doctor calling me back finally, he's like, well, you don't have to worry. And I'm worried that it's Lyme disease, mm. what I'm worried about because of all the ticks. I'm worried that there's something with the tick bites has affected him. Um, even though like none of them had been buried or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And he's the doctor ha- even tells me, he's like, well, don't worry. It's not even the big C. 
I'm like the big C. He's like, it's not cancer. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I, I don't understand. He's, he doesn't, he's a well-adjusted kid. And you're like, I feel like I know my kid, my family well enough to know if he was having some kind of trauma reaction, if he was binge and purging or, you know, having some kind of eating disorder, like we're a pretty close family. We spend a lot of time together. I mean, not knowing each other's bowel movements, but like, <laughs> but like a lot of time, I feel like there's no, yeah, I would know if something was up and he was, and he was depressed. Um, I'm talking about this to my boss. I'm my boss is uh, so I'm also not just a wedding planner. I've also worked as a bookkeeper slash personal assistant for a local family um, and kept this job. It was easy to be able to do both jobs at the same time because weddings happen in the weekends and you're dealing with most clients in the evenings. Like it never really conflicted. Side note, I hate calling my wedding business my side hustle. It was never a side hustle. Yeah. Um, so I, I am talking to my boss's wife about all this. I'm like, Jessica, I don't understand. I, and I'm pissed because I am like, he lost five pounds and we're supposed to, he sends us to a referral to go see this gastroenterologist and I call and I have to call again. And meanwhile, I'm watching him lose weight and we're trying to feed him more like stuff that should beef him up. And, um, and after a little while, and I, I, I tell her, I was like, and then I get a call back from the gastroenterologist and, and they're like, oh, well, we can't fit you in until July. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is May. This is May. And I'm like, my child is losing weight at a rapid rate by the time you can see him he will be withered away to nothing they're like oh this is for a child i'm like yes they're like oh well we don't even see children i was pissed pissed because this is who our family practitioner had sent us to right and here i had already waited a week at that point to hear back from them and here you know there's the there's nothing on the test results from the blood draws So I'm venting about all of this to my boss's wife, who is a registered nurse. Um, And she, she does, she's not, doesn't work at a doctor's office. Like she does like Botox fillers and that kind of stuff. And she looks at me and she's like, Sarah, we're done. We're done. You're not doing this anymore. She said, it it was, it was a Friday night that I told her about this. And she said, you are going to Monday morning, drive to San Francisco, you're going to go to UCSF Children's Hospital, and you're going to go to their emergency room department. And you're going to say, I don't know what's wrong with my child, but he is losing weight rapidly and he is hurting. His legs were hurting him at that point. He was having a hard time walking. So that's what we did. And I'm so grateful that we did because it was that we weren't getting anywhere here locally. Wow. Um, about six hours into our emergency room stay, they, we found out it was cancer from a nurse in the emergency room that they thought it was, um, that they were pretty sure it was. They admitted us, they did PET scans. They found cancer all over his body. 
Um, we didn't leave the emergency room. Uh, they admitted us straight into the hospital. We were admitted and I say we, because I stayed with him basically the entire time. Uh, he started his chemo treatment that Friday. And you might wonder. May of 2016. So literally five months after you kind of noticed something was wrong. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's hard because you kick yourself for not seeing things sooner, but like, you're like, okay, well, you know, like that was a really long cold. I can look back on that and go, that was probably the, uh, you know, the start of something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, and you, and then even at this, like I hear, I, I it seemed so fast. Cause here we're talking, I'm going in on a Monday and they started chemo on Friday. And you're like, well, what happened those days in between? Well, they had to do all these scans to get where he was baseline before even starting chemo. He was so malnourished at that point. They also had to like establish what he could tolerate. So, I mean, they also like the, they, the next day, I think Tuesday, they ended up doing the scans that they needed, which trying to get scans in a hospital is a nightmare. Um, and then the next day they did a bone marrow biopsy because they put him under and they, that's when they, they go in and they drill like two little holes, they take a needle and they go into your hip bones and they take bone marrow out of two different spots. And then, um, while he was under, they also installed a Broviac, which, um, there's several different types of, uh, like lines. It's not like a pick line. It's, it goes directly to your heart basically. So it's like a port, some older people, um, depending on what chemos you're getting, they'll do different types of lines. So this Broviac had two different lines that would work more for what kind of chemos he was going to need later. So they're, they're planning like 10 steps ahead when they're doing these things. Mm-hmm. Cause if he, if he had just done a little port, then that would have only been one access point instead of this Broviac being two. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's like scans, biopsy, this, uh, pick, not pick line, but Broviac line. Um, and then literally starting his first round of chemo that Friday. Wow. At that point, did they know what kind of cancer it was? Um, it wasn't until probably Wednesday that they had a firm diagnosis, like a concrete, like, uh, after they had already, it wasn't until they could do the biopsy that they could confirm what they or their suspicions were. They were pretty sure at that point it was neuroblastoma, but they, they needed the biopsy to confirm it. Wow. Um, he had, and it's funny because neuroblastoma sounds a lot like it would be brain cancer. We think neuro, you know, like we heard that. And so a a lot of people, and I try not to get irritated because I wouldn't have known, you know, prior to this. Um, but yeah, neuroblastoma is really common in toddlers, uh, infants. It's usually diagnosed. Most of the diagnosis of neuroblastoma is done in kids like four and under, um, something like only 4% of all cases are, uh, on kids over the age of 10. Wow. So he was already in this really tiny minority. 
Do they say like when it when it started for him or can they even detect that? No, I have no way. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, every time I look at a picture, I'm like, did he have it? It's like this, this invisible monster. Right. I'm like, was it living in him then? Mm-hmm. Um, and how is him like yeah. why he's at the hospital? How is his like demeanor and like, how is he reacting to it? It's, he was a very shy boy. Um, very quiet, uh, very reserved, always had been. Um, and it was very difficult. And like I said, they're asking you these questions as the parent, like, does he have night sweats? Does how, what's his bowel movements? Like what are in, I'm like, he is right here. He is able to verbally talk to you. He is not a toddler. Yeah. And, um, some of it is the fact that it is UCSF is a learning school. So I did learn throughout my journey of like, I'm having to teach these interns as much as the doctors are right you know, about ba- bedside manner. <laughs> um, you know, like, or, or the fact that, you know, like when you get a new, new batch of interns and they, they look at you and you're just the mom. Right. But I'm the person who has all the knowledge about my child in his case, in my head. Because he is the most important to me, per- person to me. He's yeah. not just a chart. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was something else. So then he started chemo. And then how long did he have to do chemo for? Oh, gosh. Um, like, did, I think, did you guys stay in the hospital? Like, how long were you in the hospital for? So, yeah. So, the first um, admission was three weeks. Okay. We ended up being there three weeks. Um, poor boy. He... If the chances were you were may get this slight reaction, then he would get the reaction. Mm. Um, so the first chemo gave him what's called a uh, red man syndrome. No, no, he had a, a, a rash, head to toe rash, body rash um, from his first chemo. And it's interesting because his chemo regimen was like, you do this chemo this time, and then you'll do this other chemo the next time. And then you'll do the first chemo the next time. And then you do this other, I mean, there was probably like three different types of chemos that had like six different times that he was going to take them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, his body had reacted so severely to some of them, like, one of the chemos gave him this rash. They're like, okay, well, next time we give him this chemo, we'll know this. So then we will combat it with giving him X, Y, and Z. Hmm. And so you're knowing that you're going to have to poison your child and know that he's probably going to have this reaction. And you're like, here's how we're trying to combat it. Mm -hmm. So the first chemo gave him a head to toe rash um, and he lost his hair. You don't lose, and it's funny too, because you don't really like uh, everything that you watch, right? Yeah. Um, unless you've had somebody go through chemo, you might not realize like you don't immediately lose your hair. Like, it, like it's like two weeks after your chemo when your chemo is actually done that you start losing your hair. And I just remember him pulling chunks of hair out of his head. And he th- he thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. And looking, I mean, he thinks it's hilarious because he's looking at this, this 
look of horror on everybody else's face of yeah. like, oh my God. Um, yeah, so he's I have one image of him leaning over the, the hospital bed, just going like that, taking it out. Oh. Uh, and they warn you not to, because they're like, that could actually, you might not feel it right at then, but then you might like get pain later from where you pulled it out. So note to self, don't do that. Um, <laughs> the next chemo um, gave him really bad thrush and mucosis where it makes it really difficult to swallow. Um, so again, you end up staying in the hospital where some people can have these chemos and they can leave. Mm-hmm. Um, he would, all of his chemos were IV related. Uh And so some people could have these chemos and be done and then leave. He would have the chemo, have a reaction, have to stay, might get to go home for a couple of days to recuperate. And then we start the next chemo. Wow. Um, So for the better part of a year and a half, we pretty much lived at UCSF. So there was times where he could come home and stuff, but you guys are back. There was. Yeah. So a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really few back and forth. I hate the drive to San Francisco now. I like, I'm sure when I have to go there, I'm just like, Oh, like it has to be for a good reason. Cause if I'm, if I'm going to go, I won't go alone. Yeah. Um, he, we were really lucky. Uh, we lived five miles. If we had been five miles closer to the hospital, we would not have qualified to stay at the family house. Family houses, a lot of people hear about Ronald McDonald house. And yeah. uh, it's a house where the family house is a place where all of us could, we had like a room and beds that we could stay in if we weren't staying. So if we weren't staying in the hospital. So one of us could stay with Billy in the hospital. So okay. when it was just me and Billy, I would stay in the hospital with him. Um if Billy had outpatient procedures or if dad and Shay were there, they could have a place to stay and sleep in San Francisco. So they didn't have to come home every night. Wow. It doesn't sound like it's that far, but it, we put a fair amount of wear, wear and tear on our car. Yeah. Um, cars. Uh, so I, in the family house is, is for, for, children uh, it's it's not for um you know if you're an adult and just you need to be close to the hospital it's families mm-hmm. so that, that's their mission I have a lot of friends and not a lot of friends but I have a fair amount of friends who've had um kids with heart problems that have also stayed there there's you know it's a it's a community you get to know these people they do other serv- other ways to help the families too there's kitchens there it's the other thing that you kind of take for granted like you can only eat so much hospital food. Mm-hmm. that hospital is also not like well surrounded by a ton of restaurants. 2016 was kind of the new dawning of Postmates and Uber Eats and all that. So we were lucky I was using that, but at the same time, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. When people talk about how expensive or what, why are you fundraising for this person? Like, don't they have health insurance? You're talking about the gas money that they need to get, the tolls that they need to pay to get to and from these appointments, the fact that they need to stay there. And so they are sometimes 
you know, I living there. Mm-hmm. So we were without my income. Mike had to carry the brunt of it because we needed him to stay at work because we needed his health insurance, which there's a whole emotional impact there. You know, he wasn't able to be there as much for his son as he maybe would have liked to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and did then, your other son go to school during this time? Yeah. How yeah. did he like, and do the, I guess my other question is too, like, do they offer like counseling services for you? We had amazing, you have, um, I can't, I, so I've talked to other, um, onc moms, which we, that's what we call oncology moms. Um, and not all hospitals are like UCSF. Um, but at UCSF, I can only speak to what it was like to have be at UCSF. We had a, um, social worker assigned to us and they cared about the whole family, not just Billy. Mm-hmm. We had child life specialist, which is a job I did not know existed until Billy was going through this. And their job is walking Billy through Billy and Shay and us through what each and every procedure was going to be. Every time there was a new procedure, they would walk them through it. Every time there was a new specialist that needed to come talk to him, they were there. Our we loved her. Eileen was our child life specialist. She had a canine companion with her named Mo, um, Kimono, which her, her name was nickname was Momo. We loved her to pieces. Um, to the fact that even after Billy had passed away, uh, sorry to bury the lead there on that one. Um, <laughs> Uh, sorry, I sound like a jerk, but I'm laughing. Um, when, when he passed away, the child life specialist came and talked to my son, Shay's classmates came and talked to Billy's classmates. Um, schools think that they are equipped to handle this. They're like, our, our, our middle school, they were like, Oh, we don't need your child life specialist to come talk to them. We have counselors. Um, these kids had already met Eileen. She dealt with sick kids on a daily basis. Whereas the counselors at the school, they don't deal with this. Mm -hmm. I had to really advocate even for these kids to be able to get the benefit of, and it wasn't costing them anything. That was the other part that blew my mind is, you know, for them to get the benefit of somebody who could talk to them about what had happened and what was going on with Billy. Crazy. I mean, uh, I think it's so good to have something like that. I wouldn't even have thought that. Yeah. And then I mean, surrounded by them and how they're going to feel about it. And yeah, I mean, these are kids that he grew up going to school with. I mean, they, he knew most of them since kindergarten. And -hmm. at that point he was already in sixth grade. You know, so he had known them for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other people that you have, uh, we, you have a, a registered nurse who, or a nurse practitioner who is assigned to you. Um, we had, you know, our own oncology doctor, but then you also have whatever doctors on call that day, plus whatever interns are on. Um, and then we also had, the hospital itself has um, different kinds of therapists. They have art therapists, music therapists. They have um, poetry therapy. I mean, just all kinds of things. Um, they also have a school on site. 
<laughs> so luckily there was only a little bit of school left when he was diagnosed. So we kind of went into summer right away. So we didn't have to worry too much about Shay going to school right away. Um, and we have such an amazing scout family um, that he was able to stay with some of them or stay with family members and try to have fun during the summer uh, while we went through all this. And that's not to say that he didn't come and visit with us. You know, that's again, why family house was so important. He could come and stay for the weekends and hang out. There was the very first part. Um, a lot of people will now be able to relate to this because of COVID, but, um, because of chemo, he would go through points of being neutropenic. Now neutropenic means he has had no immune system. And so I was terrified when Shay was going to school and being in contact with all these kids, his brother's first chemo was done and he had no, no immune system. I was terrified of him coming and being with his brother mm -hmm. because I didn't want him to get uh, sick and bring something in. Yeah. Wow. Um, now everybody can understand this worry. Yeah. Um, but before, like, that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I felt like at some points you kind of feel like you're overreacting. Uh, but you're just trying to keep your son safe, as safe right. as he can be. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, for the first, for the first one, he stayed with friends and he finished out school. Um, and we had to do that so that my husband could keep going to work because my husband was working so early in the morning, there was no way for him to take him to school. Mm -hmm. You know, so you definitely yeah. had a support system. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was really lucky. Uh, you know, you, I think that, you know, you, you think about how when you own your own business, people ask you, Oh, well, what happens if you get sick? Like, that's a question. It's a fair question. And that's a question that, um, some of my clients had when I would sign weddings. I'm like, well, I actually have a support network. We've already talked of if, if I literally am, can't make it in because I am just that sick, then I have so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so who will be contacted first to cover for me. Well, take that a step further. You know, my, my community really rallied. Not only did my event community rally, I had people who stepped in to take over weddings. Um, I did a lot of the coordination still um, because I was able to do that in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but the ground to the feet on the day of, I was able to be, give them the, here's the timeline. Here's who you're working with. Here's, you know, what needs the floor plan, everything. And they were able to execute it. Now mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not handing this over to people who have no idea what events are like, but I'm reaching out to my friends and planners. And this is where if I had been in a scarcity mentality when I had been building my business would have been a very different story. Mm -hmm. I've always been a person who believes there's more than enough to go around. I'm not going to be everybody's cut the tea and not everybody's going to be my cup of tea. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have weddings that, you know, I can only work so many weddings too at one time. So yeah. 
if I can't book a wedding, I'm, I want to know who, who I think does just as good of a job. And, you know, so I had my own network of wedding professionals that were able to step in for me and I'm beyond grateful for that. Yeah. I think that's so important to, to be able to collaborate and to have each other's back because you just never know. And I, and especially during this time too, so many people just didn't, didn't feel safe to work. And so giving them an option to have someone else fill in. So, yeah. So after you found all that out, this is like summertime. And did they tell you like, he's not going to make it. He has this much time to live. He's going to survive. Like, Oh my God. It's so different than the movies. So let's, let's, let's talk about this. Okay. In the movies in the lifetime movie awards, right. You're always, Oh, the tragic diagnosis. And they're like, Oh, you have a 65% chance of survival or you have five months to live. That is not how this shit works. Also, if somebody, you know, and love is diagnosed with cancer for the love of God, don't ask them. Mm -hmm. You are merely trying to satiate your curiosity with their turmoil. Yeah. So I'm sure you got that a lot. Um, I, I mean, I was, I was pretty, pretty lucky. I am pretty good with setting boundaries. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to, um, I'm also a numbers person though. And, uh, so I did do the quick, I I tried not to do Google searches because it's like never, never, never going to be good Yeah, when you're talking about something like this. Um, but I did ask the doctors, I was like, what's his likelihood of survival? And they're like, oh, well, we don't really like to give that because every case is different. And, you know, like going back to that, he's, he was only 4% chance to even get this out of this kind of cancer mm-hmm. because of his age, just based off of his age, it was unusual. Yeah. Um, he was stage four neuroblastoma. So going into it, we were already, you know, it's a 60, 40 split on survival. Yeah. Um, I, you think, and, and medicine is changing all the time. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to rant, since I'm already on a rant about don't, um, so I, I know that I say don't, but at the same time, Go to your friends with an open ear. Yeah. It's not, I'm not saying don't be interested and don't reach out to them. I'm just saying, you know, like just if they're wanting to tell you that they will tell you that mm-hmm. if that is what's weighing on their heart, that they've found out that there's only a 40% ch- survival chance, they are going to mention that Yeah, if they feel like that's what they need to tell you. If it's they, really good advice because I'm sure we all have some experience of somebody who has had a cancer or experiencing that. And as a friend or as somebody who's like their support system of like how to navigate, what to say, how to say it, how to support them, where to be there. And I think, it's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. You just, I mean, I, and that's, it's, it's hard because you do want to be there for them. But again, I, I would 
just, I think more is think about what your reasoning is for asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, curiosity is not a bad thing, but you don't need to go to your friend. You can go to Google. Yeah. You can find that you can find out what type of cancer they have and what stage it is or whatever. And Google that shit. You don't need them to say it. Yeah. Cause, cause you're for, Cause at that point, it's like, you're doing everything you can to keep your hope alive mm-hmm. and to have to verbally say your worst nightmare is, is terrible. Yeah. So yeah, we, I mean, we knew it wasn't great, but it's still 40, 60 is not, not nothing. Right. Yeah. Um. So you fight. And that's what we did. I mean, and every, like I said, it was never without fail. My kid would have a reaction to whatever they were giving him. So it's probably constantly in and out of the hospital then. In and out of the hospital. Oh, you should only be in the hospital for chemo. And then you should be able to go home and then you'll come back and get your next chemo. But instead we would go home. He would spike a fever. We would have to go to the emergency room. We would have to take a helicopter or an ambulance to San Francisco because the local hospital can't deal with your chemo or your, your kid. Yeah. I mean, we, let's see, I can't, I think it was two ambulance rides, two or three ambulance rides, one helicopter ride to San Francisco. Wow. Has anything changed in the medical world for children in Sonoma County? Like since all this has happened, has anything changed or is it still the same? I can't say for certain, but I feel like that much is still the same. Um, Locally, our Santa Rosa Memorial Hospital is a satellite site for UCSF Benioff. Um, I will say that while that was the case when Billy was being treated too, and that didn't mean a whole heck of a lot, Mm -hmm. even their communication between the hospitals didn't work. Even though they were, though they were a satellite site. And mm-hmm. as the parent, I would still have to be like, this is our standard procedure for our hospital and have to advocate for what our standard procedures were for my son while we were in a, another hospital. Wow. Um, and there's enough times where you're like, why did I even bother coming to this hospital? I should have just driven the hour to, but you don't know, you don't know if, because the, the pick lines and um, the not pick line, but the, like the Broviac, the lines that go directly to your heart, mm-hmm. you can have an infection flip like that. And that can be it. Mm-hmm. So they warn you, don't, don't try to drive to the hospital, just go straight to the emergency room. That's nearest you. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot though. Like, I mean, gosh, if we were out of the hospital, not right away. Um, I would say our comfort zone started to hit about August where we're like, okay, so now we've, we now know my son is going to have a reaction to every single thing that he gets. So we know that we will be home for about this many days, and then we'll have to be back to help deal with whatever reaction from the chemo this many days. Well, from at this point, and you just, no plan becomes the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any advice for somebody who who's going through this with their child that you wish somebody had told you during this time of like how to navigate, 
having a sick child, having another child, your relationship. I mean, it feels like a lot, but I'm, I know, I know. I'm like, I'm, we've talked, been talking for so long and I'm so, I'm like, we're, we're not. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, uh, as morbid as it is, try to find the humor in it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, don't, don't take things too seriously. I mean, you're in a very, you have nothing but seriousness being thrown at you. Yeah. Um, it, nothing like dealing with death makes you feel like everything else is small potatoes. Mm -hmm. And we're currently in midst of a process to foster and people are like, I don't know how you are keeping so cool about the fact that this process has taken so long. We have a child, that, an actual child we're trying to get. So it's not just any foster, a certain child. Yeah. And they're like, how are you staying so calm? I'm like, this isn't life or death. I know that I have done everything I possibly can. I have filed all the paperwork. I have taken all the classes. Now we're just dealing with bureaucratic bullshit. I can do this all day long. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you're dealing with your child having cancer, it is okay for you to be the bitch. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to. You're going to feel like it. I was going to say, I feel like you have to advocate for your child. And you just own it. Yeah. You just own it. It's okay. I don't care anymore. I, I don't care. I, I now know I will preemptively tell somebody I've had to go to the emergency room since Billy's passed. And we had to go to Memorial where we've had care for Billy or even just any emergency room. And I literally will tell them we're here. This is the problem. I want you to know right now that I am starting to have anxiety because we've been here. We've been in a hospital setting for for my son who has died of cancer. So if my blood pressure's up, it might not be related. It could just be my anxiety of the fact that I'm here in an emergency room and I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, gosh, yeah. Just be really comfortable setting boundaries. It doesn't mean you're a bitch. You can own it and you can say it if you want, but it doesn't mean you're a bitch. Like yeah. I, I, um, I will probably catch shit for this, but people being like, you're in my prayers or, um, and that's not so bad. We're all praying for you. Or I, I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, cause it does mean something that you're thinking of me, but at the same time, the person with the most prayers doesn't win. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that God, if there is a God, loved my child any less than anyone else just because, you know, or that he didn't have enough prayers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Um, it's so interesting to hear that. And so I had to, I had to put a boundary of like, we had a Facebook group and I, I just said, look, you can believe whatever you want to believe. And I'm happy for you. And please, if that's what works for you, please pray for my child. But I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. 
because every time we are going through this, I am watching my child in pain. Mm -hmm. I am signing saying you can give my child this poison because I'm hoping that that poison is going to make him better. Mm -hmm. I'm not just talking chemo. You, you, chemo is just one round of it. Just one version. You're signing for chemo. You're signing for antibody therapy, which literally every nerve ending is on fire for your child. That's the worst. If you hear somebody having to do immunotherapy, just know their first treatment is going to be terrible. Yeah. They finally get pain management after the second treatment, but the first one is just miserable. Um, the bone marrow biopsies every, every six weeks or whatever, after, after they're done doing a round of chemo, they want to see how far they've gotten, what the numbers look like or doing scans, scans, bring up scan anxiety. You didn't know that scan anxiety was a word, but it is because every time you go for scans, you're now waiting to hear what the results are. And you know, somebody has those results and you're just waiting to hear them. And heaven forbid, I could see the MIBG scans, which is a scan that was for Billy's particular kind of cancer. And I could see on the scan, like, okay, he's a Christmas tree. Treatment's not working. Mm -hmm. Hell, even if you don't see, and that's the other scary thing is finding out later, just because he wasn't a Christmas tree doesn't mean that the cancer wasn't there. It just means it was not radioactive responsive. Yeah. So he had that, all these scans where your child has to sit for hours, stay still in these machines. Most of the time you're going to be there with them for that too. Mm -hmm. If you're impatient, it might be in the middle of the night. You okay? Yeah. My, uh, and my, um, battery. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Now I can't even look at it. <laughs> the battery um yeah radiation realize like all the other things that go along with what you're dealing with you know right and I could see where it's frustrating for people to want to be there to help or want to be there to support but it's not really the support you need because they don't really understand well and here's the other thing is I know it's hard because you're like I don't know what to have what kind of support to give everybody's coming to think about it this way though. Everybody's coming to you saying, I'm happy to help you. How can I help you? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you like, tell me, how oh. can you help me? Yeah. And it's another, you know, like if you ask most cancer patients, they'll be like, be direct. Are you willing to like do my laundry, which can be kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. I, um, <laughs> You know, or do you want, you want me to clean your house again? Kind of weird. Um, but do you have money to throw out the problem? Because it's one thing for my friend to wash my, clean my house, which feels weird. And like, are you going to look through that drawer or like, can you just hire a cleaner to do it? Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, same with laundry. God, if I had thought about it, like, are you willing to buy laundry service for your friend? Yeah. I might not want you to wash my chonies. I mean, you know, like there's these lines and you've already had so much of your personal space invaded and you're like, I need the help. 
I am tapped out, but I don't know what else I can do. Yeah. Do you like looking back now, do you, did you, was there like a support group or a group of women or that helped you to really navigate the next chapter of? Oh God. Yes. Oh God. Yes. I mean, I had, um, I, I had a very big group of friends again, between the event industry and between, um, the active 2030 club that I was a member of for several years. I was really um, lucky to have, and then scouting uh, a large community all ready to help. And two of those organizations are service organizations. So that's just kind of like what they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I think Billy was diagnosed and I want to say two weeks later, uh, my 2030 friends, I mean, basically I think got in touch with my event people and was like, okay, let's do a fundraiser. Like right away, right away, right away. Um, you know, it sounds silly, but like the Venmo or PayPal things, you know, um, somebody would post in Facebook, like, Hey, Billy has this going on today can we just cheer him up? Because my phone would ping every time we would get a, a, a donation. Um, and Billy, you want, if you want to cheer up Billy today, he loves hearing the ping of PayPal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's those silly little things. And like, it was not like we were looking for like huge donations. Like you're literally talking about, you just bought Billy to Starbucks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. because all he wanted was a vanilla bean frappuccino please get on my ass about how you're going to give your child who won't eat anything this is another rant who won't eat anything and you're going to tell me how i need to be cooking for him like these clean cancer cooking things and i'm like do you realize we're living in a hospital right now let the kid have whatever the heck he, he wants. literally can't swallow anything. All he wants is a vanilla bean frappuccino because it won't hurt his throat. It soothes his throat. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy to me. What are you still doing now to, I mean, I, it's something you're never going to get over and no, but like, is there, stuff that you do normally that just helps you make it easier, I guess, to navigate through life without him anymore. Oh God. Um, well, I was going to therapy really regularly mm-hmm. because of COVID. Hey, my therapist actually therapy. closed her office. Everyone needs to have therapy in some way or another. <laughs> yeah. My therapist closed, yeah. My therapist closed her office because of COVID. So, um, we were doing it zoom, but yeah, that was, so that's been a bummer because now you have to find a new therapist. Um, I, so September is, um, childhood cancer awareness month. Mm -hmm. So September is overshadowed greatly by the big pink ribbon because October is breast cancer awareness month. Right. Um, so September, I try to do a lot of educating. Um, I share a lot of statistics on my Instagram. I share personal, this last year, I shared a bunch of personal stories, um, and pictures. 
just to make it relatable. Um, Cause you don't know what you don't know until you're going through it. Yeah. I mean, the most you hear about childhood cancer is St. Jude's, which I don't have much against St. Jude's, but give to your local children's hospital mm-hmm. because everybody's like, well, I, I had people who were like, well, why didn't you just go to St. Jude's? Like, well, they actually don't take every case. Oh. Um, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they say they'll, the, what's their big tagline is something like, um, their families never have to worry about pain or something like that. Well, that's great. We have killer insurance. Like most fam, a lot of families have insurance. Um, but that doesn't mean that they have to take your case. And if you've already started treatment somewhere, they might not take your case. Also, they might not be the leaders for your child's cancer. Interesting. Um, they say childhood cancer now has like an 80% survival rate. This is skewed drastically because childhood cancer is the number one killer of children. Mm-hmm. We're also talking about a list. You've, you've taken a bunch of cancers and condensed them into one major heading. Mm-hmm. A list is, I mean, I think what I shared on Instagram, it's like four screens long. Of all the different types. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which makes it hard because you... You need research. (laughs) You need research and research costs money. Yeah. Now there's a ton of hospitals out there that are doing research. Let's spread that money out. Not all the funding for childhood cancer needs to go to one hospital. We had a local radio station reach out to me about using Billy's story for their um, phone drive for St. Jude's. And again, I was so torn. I'm torn because I want more research done. We have UCSF Benioff right here in our backyard. Why are we not doing a fundraiser for them here? Well, and that would, it sounds like the only hospital locally that would support anybody in our community's children there's, so there's uh, UCSF um, in uh, Mission Bay, Benioff, and then there's one in Oakland also. And then there's also Stanford Medical Center that does a lot of uh, children's cancers. And there might be some work being done in Davis. I, I don't want to miss, I don't want to not say there that, but we have hospitals here locally. Why are you telling, why are we telling families? Why are we fundraising for families to have to, if I didn't have that support that we have here locally, I can't imagine being where St. Jude's is, right? Then I would literally physically be separated from my other child and my husband by states. Yeah. I would not have had the friends who were able to come over and say, hey, Sarah, I'm going to come take you out for dinner. Hey, Sarah, go shower. Mm -hmm. We'll be downstairs to drop off coffee. Like, 
let's do this more local. Yeah. I, 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 it's why I am okay with actually catwalk for a cure setter because it is local. Mm-hmm. Um, we were lucky in the fact that neuroblast, the one of the, one of the leading doctors for neuroblastoma research is actually a local doctor was at UCSF. Hmm. The other specialty is like Denver, Colorado, or New York. Again, I can't imagine having been states away from my family, especially when Billy was dying. Yeah. You know, when we knew it was terminal. And so my niece would come and spend the night with him so they could have some more time together. Where I had, my husband has a huge family where we had um, all the aunts and uncles come before he passed away. Death is a whole nother topic. And we could talk about that probably some other time, Yeah, Uh, but you have options about how you want to die, you know, and having that conversation. But the fact that if we had been farther away, would have made things so much harder, but so much harder. Are you doing anything now to advocate for more research locally or since this experience, is there anything that you've been involved in to move the needle at all? (laughs) So we have done um, some fundraisers since Billy's death um, with like with noble folk where we've had a certain ice cream. Um, So we did those for two, we did those two years. I've done unravel, um, flutterings, which unravel is, uh, localish it's Bay area, mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit. Um, and we would go and put little dragonflies in people's yards. And then you could flutter somebody else's house. Like you, somebody would flutter you and then you would go send the flutter to somebody else's house. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually for a different type of cancer, but here's the thing only I want to say three or four new chemos have come out just for children's cancer for childhood cancers. That's out of hundreds. And we want all cancer, all cancer needs research, but here's the thing. We're treating children with chemos that are made for adults. So these children who might survive childhood cancer are then getting secondary cancers as an adult because of the chemos they were given when they were kids or the radiation or treatments that they were given as kids for their cancer. Um, Can you, I mean, can you imagine, or you, you survive cancer treatment, but the chemo gives you another illness. And I'm sorry, I'm not prepared for this conversation, but I like, you know, or you've gone deaf because of your chemo, your growth has been stunted. There's kids that are, have to be on growth hormones because the chemo has stunted their growth. Yeah. So I tried to share, like, like I said, I tried to share this in September. I tried to, there's certain days like international cancer awareness day where, you know, yeah, United States might have 80% survival rate. Even if I do feel, feel like that's skewed worldwide, that is not the survival rate. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it's, 
you know, I'm passionate about it, but also I, I try not to let it um, rule my life. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. I was an onk mom. I am still an onk mom, but I am, that is not my main umbrella anymore. Right. And you can when, see that through your journey. When you're, when you're in it, in the midst of it, that's, that is your main, that is it. That is all consuming. Yeah. And rightly so. Right. I can't even imagine what you've been through. And uh, again, you've always been an inspiration uh, to me. And um, I don't know I, how the hell you're going to edit all this. <laughs> either. But I love it. I love all the content and I appreciate you so much and keep doing what you're doing. And <laughs> I probably will have you on again for some other topic. Cause all, I have so many, 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 many questions for you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please share this episode on social media and tag me. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share. I can't wait to continue to inspire you all. 